Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. This is episode 1603, an interview with Taj Shakluna, the Permapixie, about her development of a permaculture business and the work required to be a small business owner. Along the way, we also talk about education and some of the differences between Australian and American training, both at the university and professional level as well as within permaculture itself including some ways that we might consider formalizing the Permaculture Design Certificate. If you enjoy this episode or any in the archives, there are several ways to help the podcast. The first is through Patreon, where you can become a member and receive a variety of benefits, including early access to episodes and discounts to partnering vendors, including Field and Forest Products, Chelsea Green Publishing, and permikids.com. The second way is to get involved with the Permaculture Podcast community. Join in the conversation at facebook.com forward slash the Permaculture Podcast or on Twitter where the show is at PermacultureCST if you'd like to see some pictures from my journeys, travels, and everything else going on in the world of the podcast. I'm also on Instagram as Permaculture Podcast. You can also leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or however you happen to listen to this show, and also share links to your favorite episodes on social media, however you might interact with others online. Now then, on to Taj. I'll join you afterwards with some thoughts about this interview. Then Taj, last time we spoke, we discussed a lot of the politics and policy and like present state of permaculture. And during that conversation, you mentioned your business and the work you've been doing over the last couple of years. And that's what I'd like to talk about today, is how you started your business, what that's like, and what the process has been for you. So if you could just kind of give us a bit of a background on what it is that you were doing with permaculture, we can take it from there. So what it is I do with permaculture is um, I run a small business called the Permapixie, and I design, do consultations, uh, implement designs, and also uh, practice education. My main passion is the education and facilitation side of things, but I do believe that in order to be a good educator myself, I really want to have some hands-on practical experience within the field and also have a lot of uh, designs behind me as well so then I can actually teach through that experience. I also really love the implementation side of things because I ask myself the question of how many permaculture designs actually get implemented as people are quite lacking in in practical skill uh, in in a lot of cities and urban environments and that's myself included I grew up in suburbia so I I literally didn't even know how to use a hammer properly until I was about 19 years old and I kind of had to had to take it from there so it's been a, a big journey for me but now that I am designing a lot more. I get to implement these designs and actually see how they work on the ground because sometimes you can look at something on paper and go, oh, that all looks fantastic. And then you get onto site and for some reason it's a different story or you haven't thought about this little thing or that factor. So I first started the business in uh, in 2012, 2013. So it really kicked off in 2013, but it was – I was working on it in 2012. I did a a small business course and things like this. So it was a long process of uh, educating myself beforehand because after doing a PDC, although all I wanted to do was practice permaculture and um, and I knew that's what I wanted to do for my life and that's how I wanted to make my livelihood, I didn't actually think that I had enough uh, knowledge and experience behind me to actually head into a business. So luckily for me at that point, there was a course a diploma being held um, in Melbourne, a permaculture diploma that I could do. And I went and pursued that. And afterwards, I felt a lot more competent in being able to start that business. It was one of the conversations in my permaculture teacher training was about how we go through a permaculture design course and we have all these ideas and information. And of course, because this is kind of a self-directed program for many of us to get into, our passion for this really comes through on the other side. But there isn't always a lot of guidance or ability to take all of those 
ideas and turn them into something practical as a business or even just as a budding designer. With that diploma course, was that a long process to go through that? It was a year and a half. Um, It was a year and a half course. Um, And it was uh, three to four days a week, year and a half. Was that offered through any colleges or universities or was it through a permaculture research institute? It was um, offered through an Eltham College, which was an actual college for primary school and high school students. And it also had a tape sector um, attached to it. So it ran basically as a registered training organization that hosted the Diploma of Permaculture. And it's not currently running from there, but um, at the moment I'm part of the accredited permaculture training um, of Australia and uh, we're working to get that um, happening again next year through a range of different registered training organisations. And I'm very excited about that because I do really believe that um, it needs to be more accessible to people. Uh, I really loved how the permaculture design course was developed as a non-formal education system, you know, and I really believe that it's great to hold on to that because, you know, we get to kind of um, maintain control of that in our own way and it's run for the people by the people, basically. But as, you know, the population grows and as we start to see more of our, basically more destruction happening in the world of our wild and environmental spaces, I do believe that it needs to be made more accessible to people. And one of the ways that it will do this is being offered through more TAFE and university systems. I'm really all for that you know, because then people can actually get some government funding to do it. And also, you know, there's a, it's a little bit tricky here. It'll become more mainstream, you know, and sometimes there can be, um, uh, you know, some perils with that. But there can also be some really, really um, beautiful things because if permaculture is more mainstream, then perhaps it'll, you know, be adopted by a lot more people. In there, as an American, you use some terms that I'm not familiar with. The TAFE system is a tertiary education system over in Australia. Um, so it's, you know, to secondary and then you can have a tertiary training organization or um, education system. And the registered training organizations is uh, basically a body in which one of those tertiary courses can go through. It can get really dry <laughs> sometimes, but um, I keep in mind how, how much I'm excited about the education possibilities. And so then those registered training organizations provide a formal program in which these tertiary programs are offered through? Yeah, they basically offer a a platform for the courses to be offered through. So the the courses will, all of the units and the, um, the, actually the course and curriculum will all basically follow the same framework, the same kind of tertiary framework, but the registered training organization offers a platform basically to hold these courses. Thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> so I've got to remember sometimes that people don't exactly speak the, the same language across the globe. Well, and that was one of the things for me in moving through permaculture, in looking for something that was more formal for meeting the credentialed requirements of Western society in particular. Because I went through and took my PDC, took a teacher training with some folks who are reasonably well-known. And so in conversation, if I mention who I've studied with, that kind of gets some recognition. But to go into like a policy meeting or to stand in front of a class to talk about some of these things, these certificates aren't necessarily well-known. And so for me to kind of round out my education, there wasn't anything formal in the United States at the time. So I wound up going to graduate school for a program in resource management. And that kind of opened a lot of doors for me. But my understanding is that in, within the Australian system, there's been some movement towards making permaculture a part of the university system so that there is more of that government backing and more of that formalized recognition of the education. Is that something that I'm correct in my understanding that that's occurring? Or is that happening through these TAFE and registered training organization programs? There are a number of different um, permaculture courses that are that are available, you know. So the there are teacher training courses, there are permaculture design courses, there are, you know, a number of uh, small courses that are happening and they're all outside of the formal education system. But then you have 
the certificates, so certificates one to certificate four, and then the diploma level. And they are offered more so through what was called a TAFE, a tertiary kind of institute of, um, of learning. And that all kind of follows the, the same platform and the same framework around Australia, although there aren't that many of them. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm really excited to get this happening because I think that at the moment I know of three diplomas that happen in Australia and there's a few that you can actually send away, you know, so um, I'm not sure you might be familiar with this as well, where you can actually document your permaculture kind of studies and then you can actually send away for your diploma through an institute, through another permaculture institute. Yes, PRI. USA offered that at one point, and I believe they've begun reissuing those recently. Yeah. And yes, it was the certificate one through four. Uh, as soon as you said that, I remember that was the article that I had read um, in reference to that I think it was Robin Francis was the person who was uh, quoted as part of the article that I had read. Uh, she runs uh, Jambung Gardens in New South Wales, and um, yeah, she, she has done a lot of work for education and for making it more accessible to people. When you took your diploma, did that include some of the business development issues or was your small business course separate from that? Yeah, my small business course was separate from that. You know, um, the diploma, although it gave me more grounding to be a designer and some more practical aspects. And I think there are a few, you know, units uh, sprinkled in there that touched on some of the business aspects, but there wasn't there wasn't much of that. Uh, it was more focused towards permaculture and the many different avenues and facets that you could explore of permaculture rather than the business course was purely um, to wrap my head around starting my own business and how I'd go about that. I don't, I don't think I'm um, naturally, uh, well, I don't know how many people are naturally very good at paperwork and bookkeeping and things like that. I don't know who naturally wants to be necessarily because the more people I speak to, the more people just say, oh, no, that's not really for me. But I wanted to actually wrap my head around how to how to go about it within this system and this framework that we are currently living in at the moment in order to create a livelihood from permaculture. So that helped to develop some of the entrepreneurial skills that are necessary to run a business, those nuts and bolt pieces like writing a business plan, um, if you're interested in securing funding, how to go about that, what to expect in the paperwork, any legal hurdles or insurances you might need. Yeah, it did. It um, it was a little. Uh, it was a basic course, you know. Like, I've been following how um some of Eric Toensmeyer does uh financial permaculture courses in in the U.S. and um I love this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, that's that's incredible, you know, because I really feel that in order to change our current system, we are going to have to look at things like that rather than just at at food growing systems, which are you know as as beneficial as each other. But we don't have any financial permaculture courses that I know of in Australia yet. And I've actually thought about, you know, trying to perhaps uh, not facilitate one, but coordinate one here um, because, you know, that's more of the avenue that I'd like to really explore with it. But it was great to do the small business course because it gave me, a, you know, a foundation to do the work that I'm doing now and to kind of pick and choose what I would and would not use. But um, I'm quite motivated when I really want to do something. So, it was, I think it was, in some ways, it was easy for me to sell my business. And in other ways, it was really, really difficult, obviously. But yeah, I'm, I'm quite self-motivated when it comes to something that I really, really enjoy. So I didn't have to push too much with it. I got really involved with it. Do you come from what you would consider an entrepreneurial background? Were your parents small business owners or anything like that? Um. Yes and no. So that's a that's a yeah that's a, a strange question, but I've often thought about it. My dad is um, he's a business owner. He owns many businesses, but I I'd never I never see him. And he oh when I say never, it's not really never, but you know not enough to kind of for things like that. I think to rub off onto me. So he never lived with us, and he lived very far away. So quite often I wonder, hmm, I wonder how many of those traits I kind of picked up in the the genetic gene pool. Really. But yeah, he is quite a self-motivated person and, you know, he, he run, has run a few businesses and has also owned a few businesses as well. So whereas my mum was a mum and was the, one of the greatest mums ever and that was purely what she dedicated her whole life to was to raising me and my brother and any job that she had pretty much was second to that. Uh, so she didn't have necessarily a, a career focus throughout my life 
She had a few uh, really interesting and creative hobbies uh, like calligraphy and she's a bookbinder. She binds these fantastic and beautiful, beautiful books. But she's very, very humble. So she, you know, she doesn't do it to sell them or anything like that. It's more, um, I've got handmade books lining my walls. You know, she just made me, um, I, I just got my uh, Warre beehive and she's just made me a beekeeping book, a beekeeping journal so that I can keep all of my notes in this beautiful handbound beekeeping journal. So, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit about the, the background I come from. And so I suppose I've always had, um, at least from my mum, I've always had a, a lot of support to be the person that I am and I want to be. So that's more than I could ever really hope for. And that kind of support can be incredibly helpful as you wander down the road that so few have journeyed on and have those questions to answer that very often require digging deep from my own experiences and talking to other people here in the States who own small businesses, there are a lot of times when you're filling out your paperwork or running your numbers and you're going, hmm, okay, where are we going to go from here to get to this next step and not having any kind of a model to get from where you are to where you need to go. And you kind of build the bridges as you're taking each step and kind of creating things underneath of you uh, moment to moment as you go. I'm very familiar with this. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Sometimes it's a sometimes it's a one day at a time thing. But I also like, you know, I I really believe that every permaculture business and organization, just like every landscape, should have a design. And the the more I've been involved with um with organizations and, and businesses, the more that I've seen that this actually doesn't happen. You know, and um I've tried to design mine uh, accordingly as well, but I think that sometimes it's a time factor as well. It's not necessarily that people don't want to do these things. It's, you know, having the day to go, oh, today I'm going to sit down and I'm going to design my business. <laughs> it doesn't really happen. We've got to really set aside time for this. But this is what I'm getting at with, the, you know, the financial kind of permaculture courses and things like that. I'd really love to coordinate one day or help to coordinate a course like that where people can actually go through and the focus being on designing you know social systems enterprises businesses and and how people can go about that to make sure that that's a regenerative system as well and i think of the range of conversations and courses that could be held within that kind of a framework everything from just a simple one-page business plan in order to allow someone to quickly sketch out their business and start that design in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming to what is a day in the life of an entrepreneur like ranging with the highs and lows and you know those times when someone asks you why did I get an email from you at four o'clock in the morning it's like well that's when I was up I was working because I haven't slept in a day and a half because I've been doing this and this and this that's yeah that sounds yeah very familiar <laughs> I get clients so you know that send me a message back going go to bed <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, This is a time where um, my brain's awake, apparently. So, but I I also think that one of the beautiful things about holding a, a, you know, financial or business permaculture course is the fact that usually, in, in my experience, permaculturalists and permaculture facilitators make things fun. They make them fun. And one of the things that I love the most and through a, a, a lot of teachers, um, you know, that, which I've learned from, they use processes. They use fun and interactive and creative processes to help people learn and to help people engage. And to do that in a business course would be fantastic because a lot of the time people find it dry and boring and no wonder people have this kind of blockage when it comes to, you know, going to do their bookkeeping or something like that, you know. It's, it's in a very linear kind of framework. And I think that, you know, there's a myriad of different ways that we could actually approach something like that to make it more enjoyable and to uh, make it more accessible for people with different learning styles as well. That speaks a lot to that informal side of the permaculture educational process, because I can think of probably two dozen games between my design course and my teacher training that we played in order to work through different ideas and concepts and how many of those could be adapted to a business course or to take some of the very formalized traditional like communication and business facilitating processes and books and then translate them into something that is more like a game 
in order to help us discover these things about ourselves. Just something as simple as like knowing when is the best time for me to send email? You know, when's the best time for me to write? When do I have the, the most creative energy during the day? And creating something around those ideas so that we can understand our personal process and then be able to apply it to these business ideas. Yeah, yeah, because it's just as important that we understand, or it's probably most important that we understand ourselves and the way that we work. Because currently, if you go to a business course, it kind of just expects you to be the same and work the same as everyone else. And, you know, quite a few people that are being entrepreneurs and starting a business themselves, they that don't necessarily work like everyone else, you know, and there's loads of people in the world that are really creative, like incredible at what they do, incredible artists or incredible landscapers or, you know, all of these things, but they are not necessarily as good at the business side of things. So they actually don't carry themselves through into that kind of world in a way that um, means that they have a right livelihood. Because, you know, they're, they're too busy in their kind of uh, whirlwind of creativity to pay attention to, to other things like that. So it'd be really amazing for people to focus on what they're like and then and also network their skills, but to do it in a, in a different kind of dynamic and, and diverse and, and creative way. It'd be incredible to see something like that happening because I don't really see it happening very often in, in the world that I live in anyway. I don't see it that often either, and I think that it stems from some of the things that we talked about previously, was that we're still very often at a point of competition, yeah. and so a lot of those ideas of what works aren't being shared, or some of these ideas are being held on to. But with that, the other side, as you mentioned creativity, I find that, at least from my the permaculture courses that I've attended as a guest lecturer, the ones that I've taken that permaculture seems to draw from the creative pool of people more than some other disciplines. And so there are these beautiful designs and all this information and things are presented in visually some ways that are very clear or through storytelling. But when it gets down to those nuts and bolts of running a business day today, they're just not things that we're mindful of. And it does make that right livelihood difficult there was a conversation I was having with David, who's starting a website called Numundo. And in part of our conversation together, we were talking about how you can have this passion and kind of start a business or start running with an idea before you realize that you didn't do any of the groundwork to make it successful. And then you kind of are evolving what you're doing in the moment or you're backpedaling in order to lay a new framework to operate from. And that can be really difficult, especially when you're trying to transition to making what you're doing a career, or at least to provide some of that income so that it really is a livelihood. It can be sometimes a, a double-edged sword. <laughs> it can be really difficult. You know, sometimes I find myself in uh, certain paradoxes uh, running a business. You know, one of the things that I've found the hardest is and I raised this with a mentor and teacher of mine at an advanced design course. It's like appropriately, you know, incorporating fair share into a business plan and a business mentality. Because I do believe that people have the right to practice permaculture as a business and to, um, you know, gain a livelihood from it. I think it's fantastic as well because it's getting it out there to more people. But it's also, you know, within our ethics, we need to be incorporating fair share and in our kind of busy day-to-day -day lifestyles where we're trying to you know perhaps in my case I'd really love to be able to have access to land one day so I can actually have a bit of a small farm and somewhere to teach from where I get to wake up and see my walnut tree every day and all that beautiful stuff that we dream of you know so uh, working in this um in this business in order to uh, hopefully afford some land one day but also being able to not have that taking up all of your time and all of your energy so you actually have enough to incorporate into fair share and do volunteer projects or uh, volunteer talks or just make sure that, you know, there's uh, certain scholarships that uh, people have access to within your courses and, and things like this. I, I really, really believe that fair share needs to be incorporated into our, our, our business plans and our workings as well. And it's been one of the hardest things for me sometimes running a business in a, you know, within a system that I don't necessarily agree with myself, you know. So, um, but I'm kind of 
one of those, I guess, a, a bridger, you know, and, and, and on the edge and um, trying to kind of value that edge and having one one leg in, in the pond of each reality, which can sometimes be really, really tiring. And I can find myself in, you know, some paradoxes, you know, at the moment I'm like, oh, how am I going to drive less? You know, I've got a I've got a car that I can fit all of my tools into implementation jobs. But then I'm I'm just another person on the freeway that has, uh, you know, all of this stuff to carry in my car, but I'm still one person that's driving one car going to my individualized single destination, which, you know, in in a lot of ways, I don't agree with either. So yeah, I, I try to kind of practice my ethics in what I do. And I express a certain, sometimes a certain bit of mentality where I go, okay, look, I don't care. I've just, I've just got to do this or else I'm going to do my head in about it way too much and put too much pressure on myself. And then other times I'm like, okay, what can I actually give in my life and what can I give up in order to try and practice my ethics even more and make them more defined in my lifestyle. With what you said there, there are two thoughts that come to mind for me. One is with that fair share, because of the love and joy of doing this kind of work, very often it's easy to undervalue what it is that we're doing or not to treat this permaculture practice, whatever that may be, be it education or design or something else, as if it really is a job and to project what we're doing into the world that our practices are an occupation. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that because, you know, sometimes I, the love that I have for it, you know, means that I have extended myself quite thin, you know, spread myself quite thin over the years sometimes. And I'll stop and I'll wonder, you know, oh, why did I say yes to all of these things? <laughs> and it usually is because I love it or because, you know, I see a potential for a project or something like that. But then again, I also have to balance that with being able to have value in what I do and make sure that I am actually getting enough paid work to ensure that, you know, I can live a quality of life and I can actually save for those things that may be important to me and, you know, perhaps a family in the future. The other piece of that for me was that one of my mentors and I were talking about how do you price design work or anything else that you're doing with, within this framework. And in that conversation, he made it very clear that in pricing the work, whether it's by the hour or by the day or however we decide to do it, if we price it at a truly sustainable level for our paid work, that then allows us the opportunity then to do other projects that are volunteer or at a reduced rate or allow us to then reinvest in other projects that we agree in or to, you know, when we hear about a permaculture design course that's asking for scholarship funds just to be able to sit down, write a check or send an envelope to them, that it becomes more equitable in ensuring that we're making a living from this because we then are able to use those financial resources as tools to expand on what it is that we're doing as permaculture practitioners. Definitely. definitely. You know, I see money as in an exchange system, you know, the exchange system that, you know, and the, the energy exchange that most people use, but it still is an, an energy exchange. And I really have enjoyed reframing the way that I think about capital, you know, the, the eight forms of capital and regenerative enterprise have really helped me to uh, reframe the way that I feel about those things in my mind and therefore the way I feel about my business and value it as well. So those kind of things have really helped me and I actually try and I run uh, little processes within our permaculture design courses on kind of reframing people's idea around finances and around economy because uh, some people can uh, I've seen this time and time again when people start a business themselves and they almost see it as a, a dirty word or something like that you know like uh, economy or you know um, when they're trying to put a price on something that it is that they do they actually get really really uncomfortable because there's this mindset that money is actually responsible for environmental degradation and so they they feel really uncomfortable using that system and i don't necessarily think that it's money that's responsible for that 
I think it's people's mindsets that are responsible for that. And and if people control their greed and, you know, keep their ethics in check while they're actually using a system like that, then it can actually be really, really abundant and, you know, and, and serve a lot of people as well as themselves and serve the environment as long as we keep in mind that there is living capital and, you know, how are we contributing to our living capital as well. So, yeah, these are the things that I've, I've had to kind of uh, reframe my mind around in order to uh, be more comfortable with charging people for what I do and um, having value for, for my work as well, uh, which at first was a very hard and, and slow process because I was also really quite awkward at the beginning about, you know, the uh, the asking people money for money question now. You know, here it comes. And over time, I've actually got more comfortable with that. And I think it's because I've got more comfortable with what it is I do and my own ethics and values within what I do, you know, so there's no, there's no question in my mind that I'm here trying to do a really good thing. So I don't feel uncomfortable with that at all. There's a, an idea that frequents graduate student circles, the imposter syndrome, and you're, you've kind of reached this point and you're in this realm and you're doing this work, but you look around and as you kind of value what it yourself and what it is that you're doing against those around you wonder why you're there and usually that comes just before that recognition that you've reached that point where you really are a professional and i see that reflected in business a lot of time in the beginning just as we're really getting good at what we're doing and really becoming a professional and getting past those first steps that it's that last step before we transition into that space where we can as you say be able to ask for money as part of that process to talk with customers about the value that we're providing and also though to have the catalog of work behind us to show this is what I do and I'm really good at it so let's talk about why you know these are the prices that are being asked for this is what we're going to be doing moving forward but it can be a different a difficult transition because very often I find we've arrived long before we realize that we have yeah definitely and I think it's also that uh uh, the competition framework again you know I, I think that sometimes people feel that in order for them to basically say I this is what I do and I'm really good at it it means that someone else has to be worse at it or something like that or you're taking it away from someone else you know whereas we can all be really good at you know many different facets and have many different niches as well and that's fine and um I think that a uh, for a lot of people that actually um, run a service, it's kind of like you always, it's, it's a strange thing. You always have to market yourself. You know, like my business is the Perma Pixie. It's kind of like marketing myself sometimes in a way, which can be really confronting because you sometimes wonder if you're walking that fine edge along the edge of ego, basically, and and making sure, you know, that you're you're valuing yourself for the skills that you have and what you're doing, but you're also not getting kind of carried away with it or biting off more than you can chew at the same time. To be able to find that balance between productivity and idle time <laughs> and... <laughs> between that persona that you project through, if you will, uh, I hate this word, but the brand of the work that you do, yeah. which for most people I know is distinct from the person that they are when they're kind of off from that. Yeah. Being able to balance all those things and be able to walk away still feeling whole. Yeah. Um, it, it can be, it can be a very uh, difficult thing because it's, you know, you, you kind of constantly going through these processes of, of uh, self-evaluation, which is great. You know, it's that our permaculture principle of uh, apply self-regulation and accept feedback. And that's basically what you're kind of trying to do sometimes as a business owner is you're trying to apply self-regulation accept feedback not only from your external external sources but also from yourself you know and I've had to accept a lot of feedback from myself and my body and the you know the the current state that I'm in and and how much I can actually take on and how much energy that I have at any given time because in this society we're kind of expected to just go 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 we've got this mentality of, of you know take a cold and flu tablet you know just keep working you'll be fine and we're not really animals that that work like that you know that we have times of fluctuation i think it's really important to be able to tune into yourself and your body and say okay where am i at now 
and being okay with that. Okay, I'm not as um, as focused as I was a few months ago. It might be the season. It might be something going on in your life. Who knows? It might be you know time for your body to take a little bit more rest. But I think we kind of have to honor where we are in those cycles as well. And and to me, that's permaculture as well. Thinking about you know how the cycles are playing roles within our inner landscapes as well. And that sounds like the perfect kind of idea to develop for a financial permaculture course. The inner landscapes? That inner landscape and those cycles and understanding personal productivity from a business perspective, but also from like that need for relaxation and idle time mm. in order to be productive, in order to do that self-care that's necessary in order to continue without burning out. From my own perspective, I could sit and be editing and producing material for the podcast more or less until I collapse from exhaustion because the joy and pleasure that I take from it just kind of drives me. And there are some times where I'll run much, much longer than I should because I've just got this idea that I want to complete or a script that I'm writing that I want to put the finishing touches on or some research to do. And it was only in really putting together my priorities and making my children first in that list that then they're the ones who get me to stop so that when they're sick or have a day off of school, I have a day off of all of my work. That's great. It's good that you've got some something to gauge it on as well. Uh, sometimes I find it hard because um, it's just me kind of running this, this little show. So it, in some ways being your own boss obviously is fantastic because, you you know, you can kind of, uh, you know, pick and choose certain things. But it also can be a little bit of a burden sometimes as well because you have to tell yourself to stop. And you have to tell yourself when, you know, you've done a good job or when, you know, you might have done something that, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily, um, I don't know, on not, I don't like the word right, but when you, yeah, when you've done something that, you know, you could find some, some criticisms in, you know, you've got to actually stop and, and look objectively at yourself a lot of the time, which can be really, really difficult to do that. And um, I think that uh, learning about self-care was one of the best things that I've learned throughout the time of um, running my business, because no one else is going to really take that time for you. No one else is really going to, it's not anyone else's responsibility to look after you. And in order to maintain a business properly, you need to kind of maintain your own energy levels properly. And the I guess uh, not that I necessarily think that I'm old, but I guess the older that I do get, the more I, you know, very precious, I become more precious about my energy levels and energy being a finite resource. And quite often I've found myself just going, going, going because as a course coordinator as well, you know, there's certain things that just can't wait. And so because they can't wait, I'll be like, all right, I'll do this, this and this. And then I realize that I haven't stopped properly really for days and um, I've got to actually take some time to go, oh, I've got to make sure that I don't actually collapse soon and take just a day off for me. And in running your own business, there's always something else to do because it's your brain that's in control. So you've always got all these ideas of going, oh, and I could do that. And what about this course? Oh, yeah. You know, if I've got a day off, I should be working on like developing this course because that'd be really amazing. You know, so you've really got to just like switch it off and say, OK, that's enough today <laughs> and go for a walk or something. It was one of the hardest realizations for me was in putting all those lists together of, okay, well, I want to do a short episode on this, another short episode on this. I need to write a review on this, an article on this, design this little course that I want to do a video on. And then I've got these people who I need to interview. Oh, I've got six weeks worth of material already recorded that I need to edit to get out for production. All these things, just as I enumerate that, I could probably fill two pages, double column with things that are out there. But just deciding on what it is that is the next piece and just focusing on that until it's done and not feeling beholden to all those things that I could be doing, but rather to decide on what is the most important things that are part of my process to make sure that those are the ones that get done and allowing for that space to forgive myself for what I don't do and celebrate what it is that I do accomplish. Yeah, it, it could be so hard as well because you become so excited and focused on all these things that you really want to do. And, you know, when I was younger, I was actually diagnosed with ADD when I was a kid. And 
I, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I feel like some of that mentality is actually carried out throughout my life. You know, I, you know, love doing a bunch of, of different things. I get really excited about the next thing before I've, you know, I'm even halfway through the, the one that I'm doing, you know, and I, I, I've always really been like that. You know, oh, what's the next thing that I'm excited about? And I've had to um, really uh, practice more focus, uh, focusing on one task at a time, um, which is, you know, something that I'm still working on uh, a lot, to, to be honest. Um, it was something that my partner helps me a great deal with because it's very methodic and, you know, um, uh, you know, has a very rhythmic, beautiful way of doing things, <laughs> which I don't really. I'm a little bit of a whirlwind at times. Um, so it's really, really good to have uh, someone to kind of um, reflect on when, I, when I'm doing things like that as well. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very hard thing, especially when you've got so many ideas. One of the things that that helped me the most. I was reading a book about herbalism, I think, by an um, author named Rico Check. He's, uh, he's in the United States. And he was talking about the windows of opportunity for growing, basically, for, you know, and how if you miss that window of, of opportunity to plant that angelica seed or, you know, tend to that comfrey bed or, you know, whatever it is, then it's missed. And so I started writing my lists instead of to-do lists, I started writing them as windows of opportunity and just thinking about which window would close next. And that really, really helped me to look at things in a different way. I received this similar diagnosis, but only as an adult. <laughs> okay, so yeah, you completely understand. <laughs> I can see. Very much so. Yeah, I can see um, how you've got to actually try and make, make sure you maintain focus on one, one task at a time as well. Not just for folks who have that kind of a, a background, uh, but really for anyone, there's a book written by an American author. He's a medical doctor. He's a psychiatrist, I believe. I'll have to look up his name, but he is also an adult who has ADD, and he wrote a book called Driven to Distraction. And part of it is a management for people with this condition because he's not someone who responds to medication. But even more so, it was talking about all the distractions that we have in modern life because of all the information that's being pushed to us mm -hmm. through cell phones and email and everything else that create all of these bits and pieces that can drive you to a place where you have a reaction that is very much like someone who has a clinical ADD. Mm. And it was just a fascinating read about how we can find these pieces and remove them so that we can have that focus um, wherever we find ourselves. Well, I think about that quite a lot, actually. You know, we're in, in our society, it's kind of fostered within us to be distracted, you know, with social media and everything like right now, like a lot of people don't sit down to read, you know, read a lot of books or read like full length articles and depending on the person they are, obviously that's a, that's a general assumption, but it's, it's this really quick fix, you know, uh, one paragraph, one, one image, you know, and that's the kind of mentality that we're kind of surrounded by all day. So, it, you know, it, it makes sense that we're going to get distracted by things quite easily or have a very short attention span for things uh, and, and lack maybe focus for, for hours at a time on any single task, depending on what that is. And as I look, I'd like to keep going, but we've had another... Yeah. <laughs> we could go on more and more tangents. <laughs> but I look at it, though, and we still covered a very broad range of thoughts and ideas related to professional permaculture and operating our own business in education, finding time, doing business development work, all of those pieces. And yeah, this will be a really valuable conversation for a lot of folks. And I'm looking forward to the feedback from anybody who's either starting on this road, been doing this for a while, or who are considering launching a permaculture business of some kind. But as always, before ending an interview, I always like to ask for final thoughts. And so, Taj, do you have any to share with us before we close out this conversation? I think that... um. For people that are wanting to to start a business, one of the things that I'm really interested in exploring within the realm of permaculture is the fact that not everyone has to do everything themselves, you know, and if we're kind of starting our own small business, we do have this mentality of like, everything is on our shoulders, we need to kind of, you know, we're marketing ourselves, we need to do everything ourselves, and, you know, it'd be, I've even thought about it before of creating or, you know, getting on board with other people to help create a website where, you know, we could share locally our different permaculture niches, skills, you know, subcontractors, suppliers, things like this, so that people can actually jump into the that world 
not feeling like they have to do everything themselves. So I guess the, the final thought that I'd, I'd have for people is Gaia Craft actually developed a fourth ethic for permaculture, which is the ethic of transition. And I really stress this to everyone that does a, a course with us is, you know, it says that it's okay to use an unsustainable means to reach a sustainable solution. You know, and I try and keep the ethic of transition in my mind quite a lot because we're all in transition and we're all in different levels of it. And um, I think that, you know, the only people that can be really, really harsh and judgmental and put pressure on ourselves is, is ourselves. And I've found this throughout the years with my own business. And that's been the pressure that I've put on myself has been one of the hardest things to deal with. So I think that anyone pursuing a business uh, needs to just remember that ethic of transition that they're in to make things more enjoyable and free-flowing for themselves. And that was Tasha Kluna, the Permapixie. You can find out more about her and her work at thepermapixie.com, which includes her calendar, blog, videos, and lots of other information. What I like about this conversation was hearing that there's a movement in the world to take this work of permaculture and find ways to bring it out through the systems that already exist, through colleges and universities that allow people to seek scholarships, grants, and other opportunities that aren't currently available through our human-funded system. I don't necessarily feel that debt and some of these other things are the best way to move forward, but right now those are some of the options that we have available. And that by doing so, it helps to professionalize our practices. Just to talk about the idea of introducing permaculture into the university system, not just as a class, but perhaps as a degree, or through trade and professional programs, you know, a two-year class where you can become a permaculture practitioner, similar to how you might become an electrician or a carpenter, or learn a trade and skill like that. Maybe that translates into a two-year associate's degree and provide an opportunity then to move into a program that's a four-year bachelor's degree in agroforestry or horticulture, and to blend those ideas together in order to continue to insert this work of permaculture into academia, not only so that these ideas that we have grow and blossom, but also so that they can begin to influence other systems. I'd like to see folks be able to go and get a PhD in permaculture, from a regionally accredited program, kind of the gold standard in the United States for an accredited degree. But short of a self-directed program, I don't know that anything like that exists right now. That's a conversation we have to have about where we want to see permaculture education go. What are the parallel paths? What are the different options for bringing this material in the world? but a bit more on that in a second. As another piece of this conversation is Taj's sharing of a potential fourth ethic, the ethic of transition. I like this idea and am considering including it in my own practices as it continues the thread discussing the space between personal responsibility and the systemic issues we face within the culture we come from that extends directly into the practice of permaculture. Though we might encapsulate this in the existing strategy of appropriate technology, I find that this idea of transition stands stronger as an ethic because it provides a place to work through the world we live in at the moment so we can build the framework of the world we want to live in. In that idea of transition and the personal versus the systemic, each of us have choices to make. What will we use from the old system to build the new? For some, myself included, that includes formal education in the university, with those models as they currently stand. To others, that means accepting an informal process that provides different opportunities. In permaculture, that could be embracing the Mollisonian approach to the permaculture design course embodied in the designer's manual underneath the umbrella of a group like PRI or PINA, while others are creating new programs that deliver the same content in a different way that includes things like new ethics or principles that build on the earlier material or are focused on a particular subset of the community, such as activists or organizers. Others still might live in the gift while many still remain within capitalism. While one of us rejects flying, another might use flight as a way to travel and to see and to talk to others. You may live without computers or electricity as a model for others, or embrace those technologies to share those ideas with the world. 
in making any of these choices, deciding how to move forward is difficult, especially when we do it with intent. And very often, we're left doing this work as individuals. But it's time for us to stop working alone. We need to start talking about what we're doing as a community, inside and outside of permaculture. What works, what doesn't? Where do we feel included? Where do we feel excluded? How are we our own worst enemies? Is organizing formally drawing you in to do more? Or are you feeling rejected because of the emerging structures? Where do you see examples? Where do you see examples of oppression, racism, sexism within the community and outside of it that we can start interfacing with and talking about? Where can we be allies to one another and come together to make a real and lasting difference collectively as a group of practitioners, not just as individuals, not just as one business or one podcaster or one homesteader? This road that we're on isn't easy because there's no path. There's no one way to get from where we are to the more beautiful, bountiful world that we can envision. But in doing this work, you're not alone. There are tens of thousands of people all over the world who are standing there ready to help you forge the path forward. I'm here to help you in whatever way that I can. I don't know that I'm very far down the path, but I've been doing this for a little while and know a lot of people. So if there's any way that I can help you to build a bridge or to find a new footpath, get in touch. Email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Call 717-827-6266. Or if you want, send me a letter, though please do include all of your contact information in there. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here, the next interview is with Rachel Kaplan of the 13 Moon Collaborative, and after that is Jerome Osentowski from Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture, who joins me to talk about his book, The Forest Garden Greenhouse. With all the formal pieces wrapped up, here's a bit of an update from behind the scenes of the show. With this release, obviously, I'm back from the Possibility Alliance, and it was an incredible time. Ethan and I wound up recording over 14 hours of raw audio, around 10 hours of video, and I took close to a thousand photographs, many of various documents detailing the ideas at the Possibility Alliance, plus I took dozens of pages of handwritten notes. The editing, sorting, and sifting have begun to bring the book into reality, and I'm leaving early access to this project and the ability for listeners to pledge open for the time being. You can find out more at www.thepermaculturepodcast.com forward slash book or by following the Possibility Handbook link in the show notes. I'm also now set up and operating from Seppi's place, and I'm integrating myself into this space. Alongside Seppi, our collective four children, and our other housemate Eric, we're learning what it means to live in community, not just as roommates or people who share a place. Already in less than a week, rituals, roles, and schedules are emerging that mutually support one another. It's interesting for me to live with, for, and alongside other people, as opposed to just being roommates where everybody kind of lives individually, but is just contributing towards rent and expenses. There's something bigger and deeper going on here by actually supporting one another and having built trust in ways that we can rely on one another that I'm not used to yet. And at the same time, I'm incredibly comfortable with. As tonight, as this episode goes out, I'm making a pasta dinner for everyone in our community. And my unwife will be joining us as well, and we'll be having a big dinner of spaghetti and meat sauce and just sitting down and having a good time with one another and eating and enjoying and getting to know one another a little bit better. Moving forward with producing the podcast, working on the book and living with Seppi and the other cast of characters of my community, I'm going to continue to add updates and experiences like this to the end of the show. You can always find the latest and greatest of what's happening at Seppi's place and behind the scenes in each new episode. With that, that's going to bring today's show to a close. All my best to you in all the work that you're doing. Until the next time, spend each day creating the world you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.